five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> I read an article and said I shouldn't introduce myself. So anyway, we're having a Zoom meetup, which means no matter where you are in the world, and we've had people from Africa, we've had people from Europe, uh, come to these WDMA meetups. It's on next Wednesday, a week from today at 3 p.m. Central Time. That's Chicago time for those of you around the world. Um, and uh, it's a lot of fun. And we talk direct marketing and it's not, you know, it's not horribly serious. But if you're on the East Coast of the U.S., it's a good way to end your day. And if you're in U.K., you can have, you know, a little glass of wine after dinner and join us. Uh, it works out really well. So, and if you're in Australia or Tasmania, like Mark Ritson, then you can, uh, then you can have us with the morning coffee, I think. So anyway, we've worked that out. Uh, so let's get started with some fun. This is TJ Watt, Taco Boy, and uh, it's, well, let's just play the thing. Let's see if I can get it. To, <laughs> let's see if I can figure out where I'm playing stuff. Okay, we'll back it up. Whoa, what is all this? Only the finest game day food that you can eat. Finest. Game standard day stuffed food. tacos, yummy taco bowls, and enchiladas. Hot dogs are better! Hot dogs are better. Hot dog man. Hot dog man. <laughs> now that's a high quality taco. Let's run that back, JJ. I love tacos very much. And now you know that. With Old El Paso, there's always so many passabilities. Okay, passabilities. So anyway, that was, um, here we'll get the backstory if I can figure this out. No, stop, stop. <laughs> okay, so these are the Watt brothers. They're from Pewaukee, Wisconsin, which is literally just up the road. A few, not far at all, uh three miles or something, five miles. Um, and uh, they all went to the University of Wisconsin for a while. And uh, all Americans, they all played in the NFL. I think Derek's still playing in the NFL. Maybe TJ is still playing, but JJ's retired now. But just imagine trying to feed those boys. <laughs> just imagine <laughs> trying to feed those boys uh, when they were, you know, like in grade school and, and, and uh, high school and max maxing out their food intake for their lives or something like that. I mean, I can't even imagine it. Wow, what a legacy there. So anyway, they uh, they are now spokespeople for the, for the old El Paso uh, taco company. And, you know, I think it's funny that they, you know, in, uh, in marketing warfare, Trout and Reese argue that if you can't win in a, in, you know, in a big category, make a smaller one. And so Old El Paso seems to have carved out the game day food, the game day food niche. Now, I would never, I don't think anyone would ever make the claim that Old El Paso food is the best food there is. But it might be the best game day food. I mean, yeah, I think that that's easily possible, right? Nothing like a, uh, uh, my wife makes this thing with sour cream and, taco stuff and i think that's what's in it i don't know and you dip your 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 nacho chip in it, and it, it, it yeah you can eat the whole pan of it uh on a uh during a football game so anyway uh excellent fun a lot of fun and uh, and some great wisconsin boys right 
and uh, so they agree on tailgate cuisine, and this is the part I like the best. My brothers and I have been eating old El Paso taco products or uh, products at the dinner table since we were kids, and I believe that. I believe, you know, 35% of their weight is probably in taco products. If I were raising them, that's probably about the best I could do. And it's inspired by the movie that, Adam Sandler movie, The Waterboy, and they even got the same guy to direct it, which, you know, I thought TJ sounded a little off in some of his lines. I think he was trying to mimic Adam Sandler, who I think is is actually mimicking Jerry Lewis. So, yeah, but anyway, that makes more sense once you've watched the, once you've gotten the connection there with the, with the Waterboy epic epic hero journey uh so so anyway let's go on uh this i didn't quite understand this article by wayne wayne friedman uh who remains for legacy tv viewing what they mean by legacy tv is not antenna tv which i would think was the legacy tv that's the way we started and we still have tv antennas (laughs) i still have a one of those digital boxes, oh, it's not doesn't seem to be working right. I, I I have one TV that fits in this one cabinet, and it, you know, anyway, we won't get into that. And so this article is about how there's a significant percentage of people are down to viewing less than what they, what did they they call it? They said they were they were they they were looking at households that watched at least six minutes of cable and satellite viewership each of the last quarters so they're still alive somebody's there somebody's alive uh it's hard to track tv antenna viewing and so i was starting to think about my viewing you know and i was able to watch the packers preseason game on uh on antenna tv although i took me about 20 minutes to figure out how to get my tv in the (laughs) i've got a new big screen tv uh how to get it to work with the with the antenna because we must have lost power or something and it forgot the channels and stuff but you know eventually i got it to work and we did get to see a little bit of the of the packer preseason um so i'm a, a real luddite and i just admit that but think about your tv viewing i watch youtube mostly and that comes in on our big big our big tv down there so we don't have cable we cut the cable I mean, we originally put it in so that we'd have the coax because I knew they were going to get us internet eventually on the coax, and that's so that we we buy the coax um, internet, and that's about it. Okay, uh, let's get over to this transactional data modeling from Craig Huey, and he's talked about this a number of times, and I I enjoy covering it because I don't know I like he always puts in a test or something he calls it a secret weapon transactional data modeling and that's probably true that most people aren't doing that but back in the mid 90s when we were tasked from the hudson bay company with um modeling their customers building a database we 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 unified a customer view of the bay purchases and zellers which were the two biggest department stores in Canada, more than 50% of Canada's retail, I think, at the time combined. And, um, you know, 
Hudson Bay was about a $5 billion retailer, but in Canada, that was a big deal. That would be like a $50 billion retailer in the mid-90s here in the United States. Would have made them the biggest in the United States, I think, by far. Anyway, long, rich history. And, uh, but they wanted a model, and I, and I started thinking, well, a model of what? You know, They offered, this was the National Credit Office, and they offered, um, they offered all kinds of things. They offered trips. They offered gas for your car. They offered insurance. Um, and so, you know, it seemed to me that it would be a better idea than trying to decide who was the best customer. Uh, it would make sense to say who is the best customer for travel or who is the best customer for insurance or whatever it was. And that we should, right off the bat, we should tailor the transactions to the, uh, to the offer and model at that level. And that's the way we've always done it. And so that's from the mid-90s. Uh, and we always used first-party transaction data, okay? Um, and Craig says that, you know, that a lot of the modeling in the world is done with uh, people's viewing, like that CTV, cable TV, or click history, uh, or other habits. Um, or, you know, uh, you know, they may subscribe to publications and or uh, or web channels that have uh, different special interests. But it's a mediocre lookalike audience and a mediocre custom list. And I would say that's probably true. That's why prospecting doesn't work quite as well and they haven't heard of you. Um, so Craig is now using transactions. And uh, for in Fisherman, we did prospect modeling. We didn't do a lot of prospect modeling because there were so many other sources for that. Um, mediocre sources, I'll say. But we, you know, I called up a few of my modeling buddies and I said, how do you, you know, how do you appropriately do this um, prospect modeling? And they said, well, you take the, you take the, the, uh, the response uh, and you, you know, do it per response per zip code or something like that. And so we looked at, we looked at in fishermen and they were mailing drops of about a half a million and they, uh, and from a drop of half a million, out of the 50,000 zip codes, they only mailed anything into about half, not even half, uh, 20,000 20, of the 50,000 zip codes got any mail. So more than half the zip codes were not touched at all in, in a half a million drop. And there aren't that many mailers doing half a million prospect drops. You know, it's, it's probably in the upper 20% or something, most not. So that didn't seem to make any sense. And then when you looked at the responses, out of that 20,000, only about 2,000 of the postal codes in the United States contributed any orders whatsoever. And 80% of that was one order, one subscription to the in-fishermen uh, out of uh, 2,000 zips. And so you're trying to prospect 50,000. You're trying to take the characteristics of 2,000 zip codes in which it, where you only get one one subscription. We looked up what's the best zip code, and it was someplace in Arizona, not even many lakes around there, big reservoir, um, where we had mailed one mailing piece into that zip code, and we'd gotten two subscriptions out of it. So by the mediocre methods, that was our best customer profile. Who, whatever that zip code looked like, that's the where that's the kind of people we should be going after. Well, that's not going to work. That's just crazy. 
And so instead, what we did was we started looking at the the number, the, the effort that we put into the transaction model. How many pieces had we put into a zip code and not gotten any orders? <laughs> and we calculated the cost. And so we now had a cost, you know, a lost cost. Um, and so if you mailed 100 pieces into a, into a zip code, you had a pretty good statistical profile and got no orders. That's way different than mailing two pieces in and gotten, getting no orders, right? And so we at least let the most representative zip codes tell us where to go next. And that actually did give us quite a bit of lift, 20, 30%, I think. Um, but transaction data, there's another application. And this is, you know, Craig says this, you know, he went from 1.8% to 2.2%, which is, you know, a... Uh, 20% lift or something like that. He graphs it the way I would, you know, which clip off the bottom part. So his method far surpasses any other strategy you can use to create an audience that is most likely to respond to your offer. Well, there's a lot of ways to do it. That's my point. So happy to talk with you about it, uh, especially if you're a, a, a member of the WDMA. But I did produce an article back in 2016. Did direct marketing swing the election? And, um, and, before I published it, I actually got in touch with, um, what's his name, <laughs> with the guy who ran the Trump campaign. And um, I'm trying to remember his name, but anyway, it doesn't matter. And I sent it to him. But before I sent it to him, I called his office and I said, um, I, you know, I just dialed it up. But this was before he was famous. And uh, but it was right after the election. And, and I and I and they the receptionist answered and I said do you ever talk about direct marketing at your agency and she said direct marketing that's our DNA that's all we ever talk about is direct marketing well it turns out what they had done uh, is they had sold hats and jackets and yesterday we were talking about selling the mug shot on mugs and t-shirts and I noticed that Mike Pence got to see the t-shirt uh, yesterday or the day before uh, on one of his speaking stops Somebody held up the T-shirt and made some comments, I guess. I didn't really pursue that article, but, you know, it, it, politics intrigues me in a sort of a high-level sense. Uh, and so I wrote to, I wrote to um, the office, you know, I got his email, and I said, did you, you know, when you, were you focusing on the purchases rather than on the uh, polling data? And he wrote back and he said, you're one of the only people who got what we were doing. And there's, this is a long article. I'll post it on the show notes at WDMA.org. You can get it after the show. And uh, it's also, uh, there's, a, there's a video about it. And there's also the article itself uh, on my LinkedIn. Uh, if you go to my articles and, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a, you go to my profile, I think. And then it says, go to activity and then you go to articles. And it's in 2016, late 2016, early 2017. So this was the projection, 355 for Clinton and 182 for Trump, a landslide for Clinton. Um, but what they did was they controlled their spending by looking at the transactions because they they reasoned that there was a much higher connection with behavior when you part with 20 bucks for a hat or a, or a yard sign or something. And this was unprecedented in political campaigning. Uh, all my life I'd been, you know, either associated with political campaigns or, you know, my dad had me going up to doors, knocking on doors and putting up yard signs when I was uh, in third grade, you know, eight years old. Nobody would t 
turn down a little kid. Can we put this in your yard? Anyway, uh, and so, uh, but we didn't charge people for them. We just gave them away. <clears throat> but the Trump campaign charged people. And they felt that gave them a better insight and a better spend. And this is actually has a, a several case studies on the way Clinton, the Clinton campaign, analyzed data and used data as their spend. But it, but it was detached. And it was polls they liked rather than necessarily the ones that were getting the, the results correct. And so this gave uh, this gave the Trump campaign a big leg up and may well have been the deciding factor. And this and uh, and they said this was the way they did it. So I, I highly encourage you to read it, even if you hate one political party or the other. Um, it's still a great insight into what direct marketing can do with transaction level modeling. Have a great day. Like and share. Don't forget. Uh, I did an email yesterday and the and the and the set your date button is correct. So if you if you save the date on your calendar with that button, you will see it's next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central. And come and join us and send me a message if you're coming. That would be great. It's not required. Just show up. The Zoom link is in the calendar link. So just one click is enough to get you all set to come. Bye-bye.